Welcome to the Diving Pod. I'm Grayson Campbell, national champion and former diver at the University of Texas at Austin. And I'm Heath Calhoun. And I'm Aaron Rooney. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Sideline Scout. Make sure you use our link tree in our Instagram bio that gets you to sidelinescout.com. Check out their poolside live at a minimum. That's your video replay system and upgrade to the box package. Uh, if you're up for that, it's it does everything and anything you could ever want for diving, including statistics on specific dives, how many times you balk in a practice. It gives you really every detail you could want. So again, sidelinescout.com. Check out their poolside live package. Also, uh, Diving 101 is episode two of the Diving Pod. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about the sport, how it works, um, the scoring, the numbers, the letters, we've been told it's very, very helpful for parents that are trying to figure this whole thing out because, trust me, it's it's a little confusing. And then once you get the hang of it, it's super fun. So here's Grayson. All right, Grayson. So jumping in here, just kind of take us through your journey and how you got it, got started in the sport of diving. And then also what made you choose Texas um, through the recruiting process and maybe what other schools you looked at? Awesome. Yeah, so my diving journey uh, started at a pretty young age. I was, uh, I was about six years old when I first joined the dive team at my summer pool that I belonged to. Uh, we had a rule that you had to be six uh, to join the dive team, or else I probably would have joined uh, a few years earlier. I'd started swimming at the age of four, um, but I'd kind of always longed for the diving boards. I, I did gymnastics a little bit as a kid uh, and was always kind of throwing myself around, and, and diving was something that really interested me. So when I had the opportunity to finally join the team, um, kind of took it and ran and never really looked back. Um, so the first two years of my career were mostly spent in the summer league, uh, training in the mornings and competing on Tuesday nights. Uh, and then I'd kind of take a year off in between and kind of do the same thing again each summer. Um, and, you know, over time, over those first two years, I think there were little glimpses that, that I might have um, some potential in the sport. Uh, and it was something that I was super excited about and passionate about. And my parents recognized that too. Um, so we kind of reached out to one of the local club coaches at the time to see um, if, if he thought kind of getting in and training with their program a few days a week in the winters would help me um, compete in the local area in the summers. Uh, and uh, kind of the rest was history for me. So I, I first joined York Dive Club, and that's where I, I met John Appleman and Steph Sutton. They were both assistants at York Dive Club. And after that first full year, I think I trained maybe two days a week. Uh, the club was ultimately sold to John and Steph, and they they renamed it Dominion Dive Club. And um, and that's kind of a cool little history lesson that I was there in in the early days of DDC. Um, and a lot of my diving journey kind of coincides with with my time at Dominion. Um, I, I was extremely fortunate to experience uh, some success at a really young age. Um, I won my first junior national title when I was 10. Um, and I got to travel a lot with John. I was one of the few kids on, on the national team. And um, so together, he and I kind of got exposure to this diving world and kind of um, quickly started coming up with goals of, of um, kind of dives that I could get and add to the list and um you know from there my passion for the sport my love for the sport really grew and um you know over time i used to play other sports like lacrosse and football and 
I drove John crazy because uh, probably for, for my first three or four years diving with him, I would do maybe two or three days of other sports throughout the week. Um, and so eventually he kind of put down the ultimatum of, all right, you, you got some talent, you got some, um, you, you might have a future in this sport. You got to choose if you, if you want to like full on commit to diving or uh, kind of keep your options open and seventh grade, I decided to start diving full time. Nice. So one quick follow-up about DDC is uh, Max Flory told us that Steph was the nice coach back in the day. Would you agree with that statement? I, I, I definitely would. Um, I, I share the same sentiment um, as Max. John, John had a way of, you know, coming down hard on us and really pushing us. And it did a really good job kind of getting us over some of the, the hurdles that the fear um, kind of kicks in as uh, in a young age at, in diving. And Steph was always the one where if you were nervous about a dive or you didn't really feel comfortable yet, we might run to her and be like, I don't feel ready. Can you talk to John maybe? And <laughs> so early on, she she very much was the nice coach. That's awesome. That's awesome. So yeah. going going forward in the story here, Texas obviously is where you ended up. Yep. Um, they're regarded as, as one of the top college programs in the country. So what was it about Texas that stood out during the recruiting process? And tell us about your time there as well. Yeah. Um, you know, how I ended up at Texas, I don't know if I can attribute it all to diving. Like from a young age, I, I don't know how I ended up being a Texas Longhorn fan. Um, but I think when I was about 10 years old, I was already wearing like a Longhorn sweatshirt and stuff. <laughs> so there was a part of me that, that always knew that I wanted to go to Texas. Um, I think it's because when I had first started playing football, uh, they had won a national championship. Yep. That's something that um, kind of really sticks with you when you're a kid. Um, and then through the years, you know, I really started to learn about the diving program. And I was like, wow, this school that I already like. Um, that I'm a fan of in football actually is one of the best schools in the sport that I, that I do. So that's, that's pretty cool coincidence and, um, kind of fell in love with it from there. Um, but as far as, you know, what made me choose Texas, um, and what stood out in the recruiting process, I'd say there were a handful of things. Uh, the, the first thing and probably the most impactful thing to me was the, um, how competitive the swim and dive team is on a yearly basis. Um, and that, you know, part of going to the university of Texas means that, you know, you're going to be a part of something that's a little bit greater than just like the individual accomplishments that you might have in the sport. Um, when your team's competing for a national championship year in and year out, um, there is, um, there's like a team culture in which everyone's constantly pushing each other and it kind of extends beyond just the dive well. So every day in the locker room, your, your teammates are checking in. And, and when I say teammates, I'm talking about the swimmers, they're checking in to see how things are going because your success in the pool is going to influence theirs as well um, at the end of the season at, at the NCAA championship. And having the opportunity to be a part of a team is something that you don't come by too often um, in such an individual sport like diving. And that's something that really stood out. Um, and, and even showed in just a few days that I spent in Austin, my recruiting trip. So that was one of the more impactful things and, and something that I was looking for was to kind of have that team aspect since I had missed it from my other sports growing up. 
And then uh, beyond that, Austin's an incredible place. Uh, and I couldn't think of a better place to go to college. Uh, there, there's so much to do outside of uh, just the pool and outside of campus. And I'm a big believer in kind of finding that um, that balance outside of just training. You, you need to have uh, activities to take your mind off of um, off of diving and the grind you're putting in on a daily basis. And um, so having a place that offers a variety of different things um, from outdoor activities to a music scene and some incredible food, I must say, uh, definitely makes it easier to choose uh, for the college experience. I can absolutely attest to Austin being a special place. I went to one of the diving camps at UT and uh, just like stepping on campus, just everything feels a little like different. Like, like you said, I mean, it's kind of the running joke. Everything's bigger in Texas, but like you see the stadium, you see the separate diving. Well, you see the dryland facility next to it. And you're like, man, there's just something in the air here. Something's a little different. This is really fun, really cool. Um, so yeah, my time just one week as a camper was just as exactly like you, uh, explained your entire time there. I mean, it was just different. It was special. It was really, really cool. Absolutely. So, uh, Grayson, just kind of talk to us just a little bit, you know, like the legacy of Texas diving, like it continues to grow. It means so much to so many people. What does it mean to you to kind of be a part of that legacy? That's a tough question. Um, it, it's hard to put into words and, and honestly, it, it doesn't even really feel like I'm a part of it. Like growing up, there were so many great divers that had come before me, um, even kind of dating back to Matt, who was my coach, you know, yep. he was a long learn himself and he accomplished so much in the sport. Um, and, and then watching Troy Dumay and everything that he, he accomplished in diving and I really looked up to Drew Livingston as well. So there's so many great divers that um, that had come before me at the University of Texas. And then even some of the teammates that I shared the pool deck with, um, like Mark Anderson and even Corey Bowersox a little bit before then. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody's left their own impression on the team and added, you know, their own accomplishments to um, the long list of things that have um you know happened in texas diving history that it's crazy to kind of even think of myself in the same light um and and know that i i shared a similar pool deck that they did maybe not at the same time but we trained at the same place on the same boards and uh it's kind of hard to to imagine that that's real um but but it means the world to me to to have that experience and to say that i'm a longhorn um it's an opportunity that not a lot of people have and a lot of people do dream of going to Texas, um, you know, when, when you're a younger diver. So to, to be able to wear the burnt orange and, and that longhorn on your suit means a lot. Um, and in my time at Texas, I was very fortunate um, to be a part of two national championship teams, which I, I feel kind of cements um, at least part of my legacy at, at the university and my contributions to those team titles, you know. I was able to grind it out in some really tough NCAA prelims um, and, and sneak into the top eight where I had no business being there with some of the names that were there as well. Um, and a lot of that was fueled by, um, you know, knowing that I was uh, trying to contribute points to the team, that we had that greater team goal that I had mentioned earlier. Um, so kind of to achieve those team successes and know that 
you know, we were putting our own entries into the long history book that is Texas swimming and diving and, and Texas diving specifically. Uh, it's truly the opportunity of a lifetime. Incredible. Yeah. Perfect. Really, really cool. Um, so beyond that, I'd like to talk a little bit about Olympic trials back in 2021 due to COVID. Um, I'm sure not the outcome you were necessarily looking for, but can you just like take us through each of the three lists and like your mindset going through it and ultimately kind of what transpired? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I can't talk about trials without first mentioning that it, it was the opportunity of a lifetime and like one of those meets that I'll never forget. Um, you know, I only really have fond memories from it, although it wasn't the outcome that I had hoped for or would have dreamed of. Um, you know, I learned so much and I'm so proud of what I was able to accomplish in, in that meet. Um, but to kind of go through each of the three lists, I think I actually got to take a step back and talk about the synchro event, which happened first. Going into the trials, I would have said that, you know, my only real chance at trying to qualify for the team was in the synchro event with Greg uh, Duncan. We had had some some synchro success prior, winning a few national titles. In one meet, we uh, we had upset um, Mike Hickson and Sam Dorman, and that was a really cool experience, knowing that um, our synchro team actually really competed um, domestically. And and so, kind of going into the trials, my focus was on the synchro event, and that happened first. So we had prelims and semis, and I had been diving pretty well. And, you know, for the first time in a few years, I really got to the meet and had just this sense of confidence and I felt comfortable there too. Uh, and that almost felt like a good omen uh, going into the individual event, which I had, I hadn't counted myself out of. I knew that I was capable of competing, but I just hadn't really put together a few lists in really since my junior career. Um, so diving well individually kind of gave me the confidence go or diving well in synchro sorry gave me the confidence going into the individual event um, that I needed. So prelims, I went in with a mindset that I just wanted to get myself up into contention and be close enough uh, and within striking distance for semifinals and finals. Uh, the reason for that being is uh, with prelims, Matt always liked to take a little bit more of a conservative approach. We wouldn't necessarily compete all of our hardest dives. Um, the goal was to kind of get through the morning session um, within striking distance. And, and for me, that meant I did double out in the prelim and knew that I would likely put triple out in the list um, kind of at the end of uh, semifinals. So uh, kind of going through the prelim, it was a, a bit of a shaky start. Like my first four dives weren't quite as good as I would have hoped, um, missing entries here and there, washing by a little bit. So I knew I needed two strong dives at the end of the list. Um, and I was able to pull out a good gainer twister and a good double out to kind of vault myself up into fourth and just kind of sit right right outside of contention, but but close enough to, to where I felt comfortable being there. And then semifinals was like the single best list of my life. If you had asked me up to this point, like, you know, what list I was most proud of in my diving career, that would be hands down the, the first one that I would say. Uh, it truly was one of the only times that I put like six dives together that I would say I hit, um, except for maybe the, the first dive was a 107 that I went a little short on, but everything else like um, kind of built off of each dive prior. And uh, so I did a good 107 um, and then 205, uh, I got after the top and, and put a really confident kick out on it. And I always had a tendency to kind of play defense a little bit with my diving. 
And one of my big goals going into trials was to kind of attack my starts a little bit more and really trust that I knew where I was and I'd have confident kickouts. Uh, big believer that like you can't score when you're playing defense. That's like the kind of phrase that I always tell myself. So um, that's one of the things that I identified as to why I might not have been diving up to my potential in the years prior. So in that semi, I really felt like I got after all of my starts and I was like playing offense for once. And that gave me the confidence to go through and um, kind of hit each of my dives. And one dive after another, I kept landing on my head and coming out and receiving some good scores from the judges. And uh, the confidence just kept building and uh, ultimately got to my triple out at the end of the list. And it was my first time ever competing it. Um, never thought I'd do that dive in competition or even in general. So it's really cool to kind of be able to finally do it in a meet and with all the adrenaline flowing from hitting five dives prior. Um, actually went pretty well and uh, somehow some way I was able to vault myself up into second place going into the final and it was a really tight contest I think I was a point ahead of Hickson um, but you know, so well, just ahead, sorry. Bef before you get to the final where's yeah. your brain at like you just vaulted yourself up to second you had the best list that you've said of your life mm -hmm. so like are you starting to think man, this could happen. Or is it just, nope, head down, one dive at a time. Like, where's your your, your head at? Because that's got to be just a, a crazy feeling. Yeah. Um, you know, my head was all over the place. I think it was me trying not to be like, oh my gosh, this can happen and get a little bit too ahead of myself, which ultimately I think I did. I think I kind of got lost in the thought of, you know, well, I'm right here. Um, and I, I was constantly trying to, to get myself to... Um, kind of put the head down and just focus on getting through six more dives. But knowing that I was six dives away and I'd put myself in the position that I'd always dreamt of um, was super exciting and something I couldn't really shake the thought of. Um, but I guess that that's, a, that's another good point there, which is um, ultimately it felt great knowing that I'd always dreamt of that position. Like when you're a kid and you're, you're, you're practicing a list um, at the end of a dive practice before a meet, like a lot of times you're going to be envisioning um, going and trying to qualify for, for the Olympics, make your first Olympic team. And uh, step one to that is being in a qualifying position, going into the finals or that dive. And, and for once I'd put myself in that position. Um, so uh, that, that was a great feeling. And there's just tons of excitement uh, going into the finals. Cool. Now walk us through that final list. What was that like? Yeah. So um, <laughs> that final list was something. Um, <laughs> definitely not on the same caliber as the uh, semifinal list a few days prior. It had actually gotten off to a, a pretty solid start. I did a great 107, another really good 205. And going into my third round was my 307. Um, I was definitely nervous for that dive, uh, I, I think. Knowing that I had hit it in the semifinal gave me some confidence and I didn't, I didn't miss it too bad. I just, uh, try to control it a little bit too much on the come out, um, and ended up pulling just a little bit by, um, and kind of overreaching on my entry. So I kind of missed my hands a little bit mm -hmm. and didn't score quite how I would have liked to, um, and then from there, the next three dives uh, were borderline disastrous for me to be 100% <laughs> honest. Um, the uh, 407 came next, and I, I actually got after it on the start, just like I had wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I just kind of ducked my head on the come out and rolled by and and I knew I'd taken myself out of um, you know really being in contention in that qualifying position. Um, but in the back of my head, I knew that I had triple out at the end of the list, which yep. is high dive, um, and I had confidence that you know if I was a little bit out of it, I could pull something out potentially get back in. Um, but I had a hard time after missing that 407 kind of grounding myself, um, and calming myself down, um, just from an energy perspective, uh, to do a good, uh, 53, 37. And I think I gave it a little bit too much juice on the start and went over <laughs> on that one. And then the triple out, uh, actually failed my last dive, um, right. at trials. And, uh, that was, that was interesting. And that was kind of a tough one for me to process and kind of, um, accept at the end of the list. Uh, I'd already kind of accepted that I uh, was likely not going to qualify going into that dive, but still, again, like I mentioned, never thought I'd be doing that dive and having the opportunity to compete it. I was super excited to just um, go out there and put my best foot down and put a good one in at the end of the list. Um, actually, when I came out of the of the flip and got into the twist, my feet slipped apart a little bit. I'd liken it to losing a leg and a tuck to where yep. I could feel the twist slowing down kind of as I went from one to two kind of sawn out and just kind of squared out and lined up at the double twist thinking I might not make it to the triple twist or I might right. smack and I'd rather just get on my head and get out. Um, but I immediately knew that I'd done two twists and uh, it, it ultimately ended up in the judges kind of trying to figure out if it was two or three twists and, and a long delay in the event. But uh, not the way I would have liked to have uh, ended the the list or or that trials attempt for me, but ultimately a huge learning experience. So I have two questions, one for you, and then I actually have one for Aaron. My question for you is, after you hit the water on that and knowing you did two twists, was there like part of you that's like, maybe they'll score it? They didn't realize it was just tw- <laughs> two. So, yeah, I mean, I'm to be honest, yeah, I thought that that thought did cross my mind because that, that was because I had about five minutes to think about that before, right? Before that crossed my mind, I was like, I wonder if they're gonna score it. Um, I would have felt guilty if they did, right? But a lot of the time, it's just like processing what just happened. Is yep. this real? Like, did, did I really just do that? And then, Aaron, my question for you is hypothetically, if they would have scored that dive at Olympic trials, what happens? Because they can't retroactively go back and say, wait, no, we messed up, right? Um, that'd be that's a good question. I don't know how they handle it at that level, but you just I mean, you would keep going as right. far as my experience with like high school, that's actually happened in in a high school meet that I've been at. I score it a zero because I know there was a here was the example. A girl was doing a front one and a half full. And she did like a half twist, but basically only turned her head right. and then turned her head back the other way. And so she never actually did a twist. It was like a half one way, half the other way. And it was easy to, to tell. Cause like, I never saw her backside. I only right. saw her front and then it was like, yeah, no, that's, that's not a full twist, but I saw it that way. And others thought she made it all the way around and I gave it a zero. And then there was a discussion and it was like, Nope, that is a failed dive. But right. yeah. Interesting. At that level, if it's, if it's scored, I mean, if every single judge scores it, I have to assume you kind of get away with murder on that one. But at that <laughs> yeah. level, that would never, it would never happen. Like yeah, there's, no. there's, there's way too many smart people. There's way too many qualified judges. It would never, ever happen. But if it, crazy you know that 
0.001% did happen. I, I mean, I think they just kind of keep going and move on and that's got lucky, but it, it, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. If I'm All not right. mistaken, I think I talked to the ref after the event and I jokingly was like, you should ask me. I would have told you it was just two. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. If I'm not wrong, I think they said five of the judges thought I had done three twists and two had thought it was oh, wow. just the two. And it was those two had such a strong like feeling that it was just two that they were able to kind of convince the panel to agree. Um, wow. And, and I, I don't quote me on that, but I do think yeah. that if I remember correctly, that's what I was told, which well, is crazy. It, that's crazy. And it's super interesting to me because like this comes up more in high school, I think, than at big meets ever. It's like, well... I would look at you guys and I don't know what the rules are. We need to, we would have to ask like Erica or, or a judge that we know, but like, I'm so used to it meets only the head, the referee and the assistant referee are the only two allowed to communicate. So like, I'd be super curious if one of the two wasn't on that too, because technically they're not supposed to talk about it. Correct. Rooney. I mean, I don't know how it is at like a giant, you know, meet like that, but that's always what I had been told that only those two are allowed to communicate in regards to a failed dive. I, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall. Yeah, just for sure. In those situations, I just try to divert to my rule book. I, I yeah. score what I saw. If I saw two instead of three twists, I give it zero. That's wild. But I usually just let the higher ups make those decisions. And I look around and I listen and I observe. And then I kind of bank that for the next time. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty wild. Yeah, so fascinating. All right. So you kind of touched on this a little bit in your process going into from list two to list three, you know, Grayson, what's your mindset during a competition? You know, do you scoreboard watch, listen to music? What's your routine and how do you resettle down after a good or bad dive? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Something that I love talking about. Um, so my, my mindset during competition is uh, I like to get um, pretty focused. Like if you see me on the pool deck, I usually have a flat affect. I'm not angry. I'm not excited. Like I really just try to, um, keep, uh, like a, a pretty calm, um, but, but focused, um, like presence, right. Where I'm there, but I'm not, I try to keep the, the distractions limited. Uh, I lean into music heavily. I, I almost think of that as like the, the secret for me is I have a playlist that I only listen to in competitions. And like the second the headphones go on, I start listening to the playlist. It's like, I go into like the, this whole new world. And in this mindset, and that kind of calibrates me to my competition mindset. Um, and, you know, from the scoreboard watching perspective, I'm a huge scoreboard watcher. I, it, to the extent that not only am I looking at the scoreboard, but I've got dive meets up on my phone. And like, other than my music app and my playlist, like that's what I'm looking at the whole meet. Uh, I like to know where I am in the standings. Um, I think that's a fun aspect of the competition is like knowing where you are and what you need to do uh, to kind of reach those goals that you have. And um, I, I, I find personally that when I try to not do that, I kind of lose track of, of the goals in mind and, and what I need to be doing. And like, ideally you'd love to go out and, and do every dive for tens, but like knowing that, all right, on this one, I need eights, like that, that kind of puts things into, into a realistic perspective of like, okay, <laughs> this, is, this is what I do in practice. You know, I know that I'm capable of doing a phrase. So let's go do it. Almost that's a challenge. And then you can go and immediately after the dive, you know, like, did I, did I accomplish what I needed to do? Um, 
It's a big scoreboard watcher. I, I just, I laugh because in your head, you're like, oh, I only need eights for like 99.9% of divers. They're never going to get eights. So it's like <laughs> funny when you're like, oh, I do that every day. Like, that's okay. So that's awesome. Incredible. That's a great, like, what's your, uh, what's your go-to music when you are in the meet? That's a, that's a, that's a good question. It's a loaded question, honestly, because my playlist is like, it, it looks like it just like threw the kitchen sink at it. Like there's so many different things. You probably have nice. so just like why a lot of what I listen to is, you know, music that like, I'll listen to some rap, some rock. Um, my favorite songs that are in my like meat playlist are like the backtracks to all the diving YouTube videos that I watched as a kid. So there was a uh, there's a YouTube channel that always like whoever it was loved 30 seconds to Mars. So like all yes. of the videos had 30 seconds to Mars songs. And so like every song that was featured in one of those diving videos is on my meat playlist because I associate those songs with great diving and I kind of yep. puts that mindset. Dude. Um, that's so I'm, cool i'm telling yeah. you one of the one of those is chris colwell video for sure like i could yeah. literally picture it whenever i was like in high school that's all i would watch so yeah i know Absolutely. exactly what you're talking about that's awesome um yeah and i, I shared that with uh cory bowersox who do at ut as well and is living here in austin now and we were listening to it in the car one day and you know we were calling out exactly which video each song was <laughs> and so like, <laughs> a lot of people um who grew up diving during that like big youtube era um you know watched a lot of those similar videos and it's, it's funny that's so cool that honestly like brings you back to like uh tony hawk's pro skater i just have gorilla radio like <laughs> blaring and i can just be in that faculty riding down the big ramp anyway yeah it's funny how music can like bring you back to a specific place you know you're watching your youtube video and you know hey this is when he's doing that 107b oh this is this yep. is this is the part in the song where he's doing 305 whatever it might be that's that's so cool yep um okay so really long meets uh we just got fresh off watching um world championships and those prelims were like four hours so during long meets like what did you do to stay loose and like stay focused that whole time or did you intentionally lose focus and then regain it how does that go in such a long brutal meet honestly that's one of the hardest things to learn and it took me quite a bit of time to figure out you know what works for me like I'm a huge believer that everybody's got to find what works for them um so but a little insight into what I do when I'm in those long events. It's like you mentioned, they are brutally long and it's really hard to get through uh, as a spectator, let alone like trying to stay focused and in the moment as a diver. Um, I'd say that like developing a routine is first and foremost, probably the most important thing for me. So uh, whether it be, you know, figuring out where in the diving order I would do certain things. An example being, say there's 60 divers in the event, I'm diver 15. Um, after I get back from doing my last dive, we're probably on diver 20 or so. Mm -hmm. um, say, say I'd sit down in, in my spot, I always kept a towel down. Sometimes I'd bring like a yoga mat just to make it a little bit more comfortable, but I always find myself sitting a little bit further away from the event, kind of away from distractions and people. And I'd sit down for say 10 divers or so. And when 
uh, diver uh, number 30 in the order is up on the board, I'd get up. And, and one of my big things was like, I'm a pacer when I get nervous, I like to pay, pace back and forth. So I found that kind of finding a walking route on the pool deck that I could kind of do the same one at the same time um, throughout the rounds, just to kind of break up the sitting down um, was something that I discovered probably later on in high school that helped me tremendously. Um, so in those longer events, I, I kind of break up the sitting down by kind of doing a few laps around the pool at, at specific spots of the order. Um, and then more important than that is kind of getting yourself back up and ready before your next dive when you've been waiting 60 divers or so um, in between each one. Sometimes you're waiting 45, 50 minutes between each dive that you're doing. Um, so you almost have to rewarm up and get yourself ready to go. Um, so I, I kind of developed the same routine where I do the same stretches in a specific order and then some like activation exercises like, uh, like running in place, jogging in place, um, certain uh, like dynamic stretches. Um, and I would do that like say 10 divers before it was my turn and just kind of using the routine and doing it at the same time in the order. Um, and then kind of repeating the same exercises or same um, stretches, almost signals to your body, like it's time to go and kind of developing that routine and kind of being able to calibrate yourself to the next dive that you're doing and get your, um, your adrenaline up a little bit, your heart rate up, uh, loosen up the muscles a bit, uh, helps tremendously. So kind of finding what works for you um, and ways to break up that time is, is something I always look to do. Yeah, I think that's that's super well described. Um, you know, I guess I just have to ask, did you get a chance to watch the world championships? And if I so, did. what were your what were your takeaways? Honestly, it was one of the more exciting worlds to watch um in some time. And like most diving fans would say that like what makes an exciting world is when there's other countries other than China, like yeah. actually popping up into the the podium and um, giving the Chinese a run for their money. And we saw some young talent from yes. all around the world kind of finally break into that podium, uh, which was really cool. Um, like Osmar on three meter from Mexico. <laughs> super, yeah. super exciting to watch. He's so strong. Um, and uh, like his composure throughout that event was incredible. Uh, so kind of squeak in and get the silver medal there. And then Casio on 10 meter to to win the world. Yeah. was incredible as well that's always pretty cool Every, everyone I, kind of finds themselves rooting for those upsets I, I think everyone across the world is just anti-team china whenever it comes down to it it's like we just want someone different to win it's like when the patriots were winning or alabama's winning just someone else <laughs> needs to win um i actually had a text message one of my lessons kids uh her dad is from china he said well china lost like the most important event to them men's 10 meter and he even texted me he goes but this is good for diving like it's it good when they don't win. Um, yeah. And can we talk about how Osmar can like crush every dive for some reason, except for back to an F pike? Dude, he's so good. He's so good at everything except back to an F pike. Like Dude, that's the only so dive. Good. I, I, uh, as a joke, I will say this is like as a joke, I, uh, messaged Gambo and I was like, so are we, can we expect Osmar to be diving for UNC here soon? <laughs> like, like he just seems like he seems like a Gamboa diver. Like he's going to throw yes. big stuff, like high energy. Um, but so, yeah, that was just a fun joke. But yeah, they were so much fun to watch. Um, you know, 
Aaron, we've liked adding this question. Where do you think you've grown the most since the beginning of your diving career? Oh, that's a tough one. I've been diving for so long. It's kind of hard to, to yep. kind of look through and, and identify something. Um, I'd say that where I've seen the most growth personally is really finding appreciation for um for like the little details um and the know, what's the best word to to kind of encapsulate like I, I i can feel it i can try to explain it um but the um I'll try to try to explain it through a story. Um, when I was when I was younger, I, I really focused on like the optionals, the big dives, and I got caught up in um, always trying to um, kind of push myself forward without kind of calibrating back towards the basics. Um, so, I guess being regimented um, in my training and really focusing on the mundane tasks like the stretching um and the um the skill and the drill work and how that can kind of push you forward uh i'd say that my biggest growth is probably just kind of like really coming to appreciate that kind of work um and and the things that aren't as glorious or as fun um or as cool looking on the diving side but the lineups and and um the the focus on recovery and stuff um i don't know why i'm blanking on the best way to describe that um but kind of, you know, recognizing that the stuff that's not as fun is what actually like elongates the career and then leads to um, the the successes um, is probably yeah. where I've seen the most growth. Yeah, that's cool. That's perfect. Uh, so what is your favorite diving memory just overall? If I had to choose a singular moment, it or like an accomplishment or something along those lines uh i'd go back in 2018 summer nationals with greg duncan uh we won the men's three meter synchro event um and we had beat uh michael hickson and sam dorman and that was a few years after their olympic silver medal so it's a really cool accomplishment and you know one of the reasons that it's my favorite diving memory is because um i kind of mentioned it earlier but Diving is a very individual sport. It's very rare that you have those moments that you share with other people. And in synchro, the team aspect, kind of getting to win something with Greg, um, who I've known my entire life. And when I say that, I truly mean it. Greg and I went to elementary school together. So when I was in first grade, I remember when he was walking the hallways in kindergarten, um, we played football against each other. And we were on the same lacrosse team before either of us started diving. Um, and to later both end up in the same sport and to be teammates and ultimately synchro partners and accomplish something like that together, uh, like it was something truly special for me. Um, and something that I'll always cherish forever, kind of sharing that, that success together. Um, and then just being a part of that event was cool. Um, kind of, as you were talking about 
people tend to kind of come together and root for the underdogs at Worlds when it comes to competing against the Chinese. Yeah. It was almost like the same thing was happening on the full yeah. at Nationals that year when Greg and I were kind of pushing and competing with uh, Mike and Sam. Um, you can almost feel the crowd kind of getting behind us. And we pulled two big dives out at the end of the meet um, and truly one of the more fun competitions and one of the memories I'll remember forever. That that's awesome. I mean, I think just like hearing that is super fun. So I have two follow-ups. Well, really one. Who is the better football player? You or Greg? Greg. Ooh. Greg. Oh, nice. Uh, what about lacrosse? So Greg played goalie and I played attack. Um, and Greg tells a story in which uh, he used to just be able to sit in the net because our we would be scoring so many goals on the other side <laughs> uh, they on the other side of the field. So I, I'd say I was probably the better lacrosse player, but he played goalie and it's kind of hard to, to fair mention. enough. Fair yeah. enough. That's awesome. That's incredible. That's a good one. All right. So you know, your last competition was 2021 Olympic trials. You know, what are you doing for work and how is life after diving for you? Yeah. So uh kind of even during those 2021 trials, I've been working for a for a tech company. I'm still with the same company. I've been there for three years now. Uh I got into like a pre-sales role, um, which I was, you know, reaching out and setting sales meetings with um, you know, network administrator, chief information security officers, a lot of uh uh technical people. And that's been a, a huge growth experience for me. Um, but to be 100% honest with you guys, I'm super excited to announce that um, I'm not quite done diving and I'm actually about to get in the water here uh, in the next few weeks. I'm moving out to Mission Viejo uh, to to link up with an old coach of mine, John Appleman, uh, and train through the next uh, Olympic trials uh, and hopefully even um, a little bit beyond that. So, super Dude, what? That's awesome. That's incredible. Let's go. <laughs> Well, I think break, we just have breaking we, news. Where's that, that <laughs> ham horn? Where, where? Yeah. We definitely. So, so how did this come to be? Like, what, what prompted this? Who initiated the talk? Have you, first off, have you even been on a board up until yeah. next, the next yeah, few like, weeks? Are, dude, are you in shape? Like, what? I have been working diligently <laughs> to get back in shape. If that uh, gives you any hints as to what I've been doing the last two years, <laughs> I've touched a diving board twice um, in the last two years. Um, and yeah, you know, the, the few times I got in, it came back pretty easily. I was able to, to do far more than I had anticipated. Um, but, you know, getting back is going to be a lot of work. And I've already been kind of trying to get back in shape, hitting the gym. Um, get get some legs under me and kind of get back to to a level in which I can train on a daily basis. Um, but to kind of get to the question on you know what brought this about, who initiated it, and what um, the reason I had stopped diving after the last trials is um, something that I think a lot of people in the sport can relate to. Um, a lot of other countries have central funding for their athletes. Um, and here in the US, a lot of us have to make a decision between, um, you know, training and putting careers on hold and kind of finding jobs that will accommodate our training schedule. And even in that case, it's not ideal um, for divers with Olympic aspirations because their time spent kind of, um, kind of 
prioritizing between work and diving, whereas like you really should be using that time to focus on your training and, and everything that goes into preparing to try to uh, qualify for and go and compete your best at an Olympic Games. Um, so ultimately, I, I kind of stepped away from diving because uh, the opportunity uh, to continue training wasn't really present for me. Um, you know, my job was super accommodating for that year leading up to trials. Um, but, but after that, you know, I kind of felt pressure to, to take on a little bit more on the daily workload. Um, so it's rare to find opportunities in the U.S. Uh, in which you can focus full time on training and also um, support yourself and, and just kind of get by um, and afford cost of living. And, you know, what's ultimately bringing me out to Mission Viejo is an opportunity that I will be forever grateful for. Um, the, the Mission Viejo Natadores Foundation, um, you know, has a strong tradition and, um, you know, diving excellence. And at one point in time, they were the Mecca for, for post-collegiate athletes, like a lot of the top divers in the country, you know, dating back to the eighties would move out to Mission Viejo and train under Ron O'Brien, uh, back in the day. And, and that's where everybody went and, and trained, um, and I think that was a huge part of the U.S.'s previous success at the Olympic Games in the sport of diving. Um, and they, they almost have a, a revamped vision to kind of bring back that same model uh, into the sport of diving, which is a really cool opportunity. Yeah. They're, they're setting up a five rings Olympic fund um, to, to raise money for Olympic hopefuls. And, um, you know, that that's a cause that the sport of diving in the U.S. has been needing for a while, yeah. and it's very on brand that Mission gets to lead that. Yeah, and I'm fortunate to kind of be one of the earlier people that that gets to go out there and kind of help, um, kind of bring attention to that and, and try to grow that program. But John reached out with an opportunity to move out to Mission, um, to train again in, in a way in which I could coach as well, which I'm passionate about. Um, so with that opportunity to go out there, um, train at such a story program with an old coach of mine, coach me for my first eight years of my career. Um, you know, it's, it's the opportunity I've been looking for and, and I finally get to go back to what I love, which is diving. So that, super excited. That, that's incredible. Honestly, we're, we're absolutely going to have, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to speak for Aaron, but we definitely need to reach out to John and get more information on this, uh, fund or foundation they're going to do. If, there's anything we can do to help pump that up. I think if we were able to get more people to train long-term and have the financial support they would need, uh, I would love to see that. I think that would just be awesome. One, I mean, selfishly for USA diving, we should want that. And two, that would be start to become the Mecca for diving again, post collegiately. And then a lot of coaches are going to want to travel to mission Viejo to do coaches clinics for all that stuff. So I think that's, that's an awesome, honestly, I'm so excited you're back in the sport of diving, but that is also really big news that you just gave us too. So, um, so, all right. So I guess uh, I just have a couple follow-ups and then Aaron, I'll, I'll get out of the way for you, but so is this just going to be an individual comeback? Are you anticipating getting back to synchro with, with any synchro partners? Um, yeah. Just kind of walk us through what the next, I guess, next year kind of looks like for you prepping for the next trials. Yeah. So uh, getting back in shapes first and foremost, right? Don't want to get ahead of myself. Yeah, fair enough. Fair well, enough. Well, I'm able to get legs under me and my dives off again. Um, so I guess my immediate focus is just going to be like making sure that first off, I'm getting back into shape and back on the boards um, in a way that is um, 
you know, careful and I can kind of make sure that I, I do it injury free and I'm able to train on a consistent basis. Um, ideally, I'd like to dive both individual and, and synchro. Um, but, you know, at this time, I, I don't necessarily have a synchro partner picked out. Greg and Tyler have been absolutely yeah. killing it together. Yep. Um, so haven't, you know, haven't talked to Greg about getting back to synchro and, and, if I'm being 100% honest and transparent here, like I think they might actually be better off staying <laughs> together. So for me, it might be, um, you know, finding a new partner here in the next year um, to try to push them and, and see if we can uh, um, potentially qualify as well. Um, but at this point, it'll probably be more so focused on the individual aspect. Yeah. Unless a, a good synchro partner comes yeah. up. You, you know who I think of, Aaron, as a synchro partner? They, they'd they have some cleaning up to do. I'm ready. Alan, Alan Botego. Ooh, that'd be good. He's, he's got the big dives with you. He's you know who I out. thought of? Yeah. Out. <laughs> Bro, you know who I thought of? Jack Ryan. There's a lot of options. I'm, I'm excited. That's awesome. I'm so excited to just follow along and just – see what what you have in store for everybody that's this is like big news like it's funny because we don't get this kind of news in like the diving world and so like i'm like real pumped to be quite honest i'm probably gonna try to make up some graphics of like you need like pump it up this week and be like you need to wait and see who's coming on monday we have a big announcement (laughs) and watch we'll we'll have like 150 people listen my mom will be super excited she listens every podcast (laughs) i'll be like i don't know who it is but it sounded like you guys were pumped Dude, she's gonna call me and be like, "Hey, who's this? Who's this really good Grayson Campbell guy? Is he, is he yeah. good? You guys seem really excited." Awesome, incredible. Anyway, getting back to it, um, you mentioned things you're passionate about. So take diving away from it. Maybe it is coaching, but like, let's say somebody comes up to you and they just say, "Hey, man, what are you passionate about? Like, what gets you excited? Is it your job? Is it your dog? Is it like what?" gets you out of bed like what are you passionate about other than diving that's a good question and honestly like one of the one of the things that i was thinking about a ton that led me back into the diving world and really opened my mind up to the opportunity of coming back um in diving and even in my job like outside of diving i always find myself gravitating towards like working with people and you know helping other people um you know, realize their potential and find what they're excited about and kind of help influence them positively on their journey into, into accomplishing what they can. And, and in diving, like I've loved mentoring younger people that have come through, um, both the, the Texas program, DDC, uh, and just kind of, uh, getting involved in, in their successes and kind of encouraging them along the way, sharing some of my own experiences to, to hopefully help them, um, find even more success than I have in the sport. And I found myself doing the same thing uh, in my, my, my professional life as well at work I was constantly, you know, working with new hires to help them learn the ropes and answer their questions. And, and so, um, you know, I was thinking a lot about that and I have limited opportunities to do that at work. Um, and so I'd really started, you know, thinking about, what professional opportunities I might have in which I can do work that kind of fulfills that passion. Uh, And so naturally I was gravitating towards like, should I come back into the diving world and start coaching? Um, And, you know, when I was thinking about that, uh, you know, I was thinking about my own diving career and and if I was 
I felt like I was completely done. And, and the honest answer was no, which is why I'm getting back in. But at the same time, knowing that getting back in won't hurt if I want to, to eventually get back in and coach. And um, so kind of getting back on the pool deck, networking with, with the coaches uh, around USA diving, and just kind of being more present in the sport and also having the opportunity to coach out at Mission Viejo kind of all lead in the direction of doing that kind of work. And then a uh, fun little side note on the passion aspect is outside of, you know, the type of work that I like to do and, and what I'm passionate about and working with other people, um, you know, from like a hobby or like outside of diving, my passion would probably be golf, um, which, yes, um, Let's yeah, go. which I think lends a lot to, its similarities to diving um like I, I can't I really can't stress enough like I've really had to go and build like fill the void that was left in my life when I stopped diving and golf was one of those perfect things to kind of come in and replace like it's very mechanics-based sport um and like you're constantly pursuing perfection and and the training and the work is very similar where you're going through the motions on a daily basis and kind of going through and, and, and training and um, it's a very mental game. So um, I've found a passion for that these past two years. It's, it's also just incredibly frustrating because yes. you, you hit the <laughs> one shot and you're like, like, man, I got it. This is, I got it. Today's the day. And then 100%. one shot later, you're like, okay, I should just quit. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> I can relate to that so much. I <laughs> see. Yeah, I don't. Re I don't relate to that at all because every shot I hit is horrible. So I'm just like, hey, I'm just smacking hey. around a few balls, having a good time. Heath, yeah. uh, Heath, I will say you are coachable on the greens, though. I tell you where to aim, and you hit it there, and it's always, you know what? You <laughs> gave me some. You gave me something to study for my that, next one. That is probably the only thing I was actually ever good at. Was Aaron came and did a golf outing with us? And he goes, "Listen, here's what I need you to do," and I'm like, "All right, I can do that. I will follow whatever <laughs> you tell me to do." And he's like, "All right, thank you." He's like, "We would like almost like go out of turn." He's like, "No, no, no, Heat's going first. <laughs> he's not going to make this putt, so we need to see how this works." But that's uh, exactly right. Yeah, yep. scrambles are the best. So Grayson, like, do you play often? Are you any good? Like, where are we at with the golf game? So the golf game, I, I got super addicted and my roommate last year was Bryce Klein. I don't, uh, I don't know mm -hmm. if you know the name, but um, very yeah. prominent in the diving world, a few years older than I was. And he was super into golf too. Um, so we would play a lot together. And then this past year, like, I hate to admit it, but um, honestly, these past like six months or so, I've been playing three rounds a week or so. And uh, yes. I've been seeing my scores lower quite a bit and, <laughs> Now that I'm getting back into diving, you know, I'm not going to be playing as much, but I know there's something for me afterwards. So, yeah, it's a game for life, man. It's so fun. Absolutely. All right. All right, Grayson, share with us your best Matt Scoggins story. <laughs> that's that, I, I should clarify that's appropriate for the podcast. Yes, absolutely. We always have, we always have to clarify that. <laughs> No, I appreciate the clarification. Um, although when it comes to Matt, uh, inappropriate stories, they, they, I don't really know if there are any. Right. Um, <laughs> um, that's a tough one. There's so many. Uh, yeah, he's such a personable guy, such a great person um, that there's so many stories. I spent a lot of time working with him. It's tough to choose. But um, for, first one that's coming to my mind here uh, kind of dates back to my freshman year so summer after my freshman year 
I had, uh, we were leading into summer nationals. Uh, they were going to be in Columbus, Ohio. And I had an accident in the kitchen in which I was making pizza. And uh, I actually was, I was watching junior nationals at the time. Greg was doing uh, individual three meter and I was watching the event and uh, I was cutting pepperoni and I should preface by saying I, I searched the whole store for sliced pepperoni from pizza. I couldn't find it anywhere. So I bought like, <laughs> pepperoni stick and I'm cutting the pepperoni and my hand like rolls off of the stick and I ended up slicing my finger. Pretty <laughs> um, and this was right before summer nationals. And uh, so I ended up going into the doctor and I needed stitches to kind of cut was pretty bad. And the doctor is sitting there and he's telling me that I have to keep my finger dry and the cut dry for a week. And I'm doing the math in my head. And a week from that day was one meter prelims. Like it was the start of the meet. And like my mind starts racing. I was like, Matt is going to kill me. (laughs) I have to go. I have to break this news to him. He's not going to take me to this meet. Like, how is he going to take it? And I'm so nervous. So I kind of prepped myself for the conversation. Um, also just super embarrassed that I cut my finger open, slicing pepperoni like that. There's that <laughs> aspect of it too. Um, but walked into the pool deck for practice and I'm ready to break the news to Matt. Don't know how it's going to go. And I tell him, and first off, I could have captured the look on his face when I first told him that story. Um, it was a mixture of just like pure the shock and wonder like how how do you do that <laughs> and then also just like immediate disappointment and like at first like I was like great he's not happy uh it took him a second to process um he might have said a few words like a few expletives there immediately <laughs> and then out of nowhere he just gets this grin on his face and I'm like what? what's going on and he's like this is perfect like I've always wondered if taking the week off before a competition will help you dive better. And he was like, I've never had the nerve to give a diver the week off before me, not let him train and rest up. But like, this is the perfect opportunity, <laughs> like to kind of finally put my theory to the test and see if it actually works and if it actually helps. Um, and I just remember being baffled at that response. Like he took something that I thought was going to be like such a bad thing. I thought he was going to be furious with me. I thought he wasn't going to take me to the meet. And he found a way to spin it into something that was like positive and exciting. And like, as a story, I feel like that encapsulates Matt and what it's like to dive with him yeah. a lot. Because like throughout college, throughout diving, you're, you're going to face adversity and having yeah. somebody that can kind of change the narrative and, um, you know, what it did for me was it instilled confidence in a situation where I was mm. feeling shaky. I was like, am I going to be able to compete? Am I going to feel good? And he was like, this is great. Like, you're going to feel so rested. I've been wanting to do this for years. This is awesome. So I think that's a fun little Matt story. It probably didn't do it justice. And I'm sure there's many other better ones, but that one stuck, stuck out to me the most. That's so awesome. how, how was the performance? How did the theory play out? Um, I, I had the, I had a great one meter list. I ended up going on and, and winning the prelim in the final, and it ended up being, being great. Not not the point of the story, but uh, <laughs> it proved his theory. And uh, but I, never okay. since then has he let a diver take a week off. <laughs> so, so that, yeah, so that was definitely going to be one of my follow ups. And I think the other yeah. thing is, it's like my takeaway from from that story is more like 
it wasn't so much that he spun it into a completely positive thing. It was also the fact that like, he was honest. He's like, I don't know how it'll go. He's like, I've always thought it can be a good thing. He's like, so we're going to try it. And like, we're just, but like he made it a positive thing, whether it was negative or not, he was telling you it was positive. And it's like, that's just the mark of a good coach. Like you went in with doubts and concerns and you left with like probably confusion and like, dude, he's crazy, but all right, if he's excited, let's do this. Exactly. That's awesome. So I got Heath. I'm just going to bore the audience a little bit. I have a good Matt Scoggins story. Again, when I went to that, te- that camp at Texas, he always has a handstand contest and like, I didn't do tower. So like I was up in three seconds down and um, you actually had a teammate, Heath, um, Ethan Merritt. Oh yeah. So Ethan was really good at handstands. And so Ethan like was getting after it and Matt does the handstand contest with the kids at camp or he did back then. I don't know if he still does, but this man held his handstand and told us what we were doing that day on the pool deck while he's upside down for 10 minutes, <laughs> 10 minutes. I'm like, wait a minute. What? And it, of course his face is getting all red and he's starting to wobble. And it's like, he is still going. And I think, I think Ethan held his handstand for well over two minutes. I mean, it was legit. Like he was super good. And Matt's just like, okay, now that everybody's done, uh, here's what we're doing today. Group A on three meter. You guys are going to be working back. I'm like, what? So that was pretty crazy. Um, all right, Grayson, book, movie, and TV show recommendation. Oh, the hard-hitting questions. Um, <laughs> on the book side, I think there's two, and they kind of go hand in hand. Uh, two of my favorite books are The Talent Code and The Culture yep. Code. Yeah. And uh, I had to read The Culture Code through school, and I hate to admit this, but John gave me The Talent Code when I was about 12 years old, and uh, – I'm sure he's going to listen to this, but I never really read it. I, I read like, <laughs> like the first page and I lost interest. I've never been a reader. But when I read the culture code for a class and I loved it, I was like, all right, I have to read the talent code now. Incredible books, yep. uh, both for coaches and for athletes. Like yeah. highly recommend it. Um, absolutely love them. Um, movie. Oh, that's a tough one. I'm a, I'm a big, um, Christopher Nolan fan. I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet. Have you seen Oppenheimer? Not yet. I need I went, to. I went last night. It's crazy. It's crazy. Is it worth seeing? Yeah. I'm yeah it's, it's it's crazy. It's it's definitely a thinker. Like you won't want to go if you're tired or not in the mood. Like it's a thinker, but it's really, really impressive. Awesome. You know, I actually I almost went last night, but I was gonna see it at 10 and I was like, I want to be like present, I want to be awake. So I'm glad I'm glad I didn't. I'm very happy you just said that, Aaron. Yeah. Um, but you know, having not seen Oppenheimer, I'd say two of my favorite Nolan movies. I'm a big fan of the prestige. Yes. Um, one of uh I think it was um one of our grad assistant coaches, Matt Barnard, had like told us to to watch it one day. So good college. I probably watched it five times over the next week i was in love with it and then i'm a big dark knight fan so that that yeah. first dark knight movie i absolutely loved the prestige is so good it's so good yes, yes. and then uh tv show that's a tough one um recency bias i would say um 
I really liked Full Swing. Like I love sports documentaries. Yes. And, and I, I know I've been talking about golf. So that was one that really hit home and kind of getting to see inside the life and mind of some of those elite golfers, especially throughout like the whole live thing. Um, yeah. That was something that, that I really enjoyed. And, and for any of the golf fans, I highly recommend uh, Full Swing if you haven't seen a, it. A plus recommendations. Dude, I'm just jazzed up for the Netflix documentary on the Florida Gators when Tim Tebow was there. Yeah, that's going to be cool. And Aaron Hernandez. That's like the 30 for 30 everyone Dude. wanted. And, and the, I just Johnny hope football, the Johnny it's football gonna be so one, good. that's going to be it's, crazy. Yeah, they're going to be so good. Um, All right, so kind of along the same vein, kind of just some fun questions. Favorite food? Oh, that's a tough one. That's changed over the years. Um. pasta and i'd say that like my favorite or chicken farm you get the All pasta right. you get the chicken big italian guy and, and that that's always been a favorite of mine so i'll have to go with that one all right favorite music 30 seconds to mars and it's yeah. solely because of the diving videos yep. <laughs> all right how about a fun fact about you that maybe not many people know that's a really tough one <laughs> I'm a pretty open book. Like a lot of people know everything. So it's hard to come up with uh, something most people won't know. Um, have you ever got a hole in one? I have not, um, but that shouldn't come as a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's tough. How about you think about that one? And if something comes to mind, you can hit us with it. Fair. Yes, All right. And, th and then last one here, this is courtesy of Jocelyn Oakley, pet peeve. I think this is one everyone's going to relate to. Biggest pet peeve is the whole swimming, diving, confusion, and conversation with people. Um, you know, you'll say I'm a diver, and their immediate response is, oh, you swim. And it's like, how did you get from point A to point B? <laughs> like, two completely different words, but it's always, always something that we face in the diving world. Yep. I just, like, stopped correcting people because I was so annoyed with it. <laughs> <laughs> yep i spent all my time in the pool okay next <laughs> all right we're gonna get into our signature questions we don't treat failure like it's a bad thing we treat failure like an opportunity for growth so from that perspective what has been your favorite failure or just your best opportunity for growth since i haven't dove much after it like i, I would love to say olympic trials in 2021 but um kind of looking back on my diving career the most impactful failure or opportunity for growth for me happened really early on um i just missed out on qualifying for 2009 junior pan ams uh, i was 11 under and you know looking back and reflecting on that meet the reason that i hadn't qualified was because my voluntaries were atrocious at the time where like my optionals were were, were good enough to keep me in intention uh, in contention but i would be in like 12th 13th 14th after vols and just couldn't make up the ground um so it really reshifted my focus like after that meet on um on the voluntaries and the skill work and I saw just in general, my diving improve when I started kind of going back to the basics and putting the focus there. Um, so that kind of just reshifted my focus in general, uh, uh, away from, you know, chasing the big dives and the optionals to really putting in, in the hard work and on the skills and the fundamentals. So I'd say that was a, a huge opportunity, um, 
for for me to grow early on and kind of really impacted my diving career from there. That's perfect. And then uh, my next one here is what are you doing to improve? You can take that any way you want, whether it's in life or obviously with your upcoming diving journey. Uh, that's a really good one. So I think I'm going to spin it back to my upcoming diving journey. And then it gives me the opportunity to reflect on you know, what I've done up until this point and what I think might be necessary to kind of take that next step for me um, moving forward. And so I guess moving forward, what I'm doing to, to improve or what I'm going to do to improve is now that I'm a little bit older, first off, put a lot more emphasis on the recovery. Um, throughout maturity of my diving career, I struggled a lot with injuries. Um, and, and admittedly, I probably didn't put as much time into like the daily exercises um, and, and stretching and rehab that, that I probably should have. And, and knowing that I'm making a comeback, I'm really going to focus on on the recovery there. Um, and then from a, from a mental standpoint, I kind of shed some light into how I think about competing uh, earlier on. But, um, you know, with this comeback, like the big thing I've, I've been going over in my head is, is the, uh, you, you can't score when you're playing defense. So just like going out there and, and getting after every dive and, and not trying to control everything and be perfect so much um, to the point where I'm inhibiting my ability to, to go out there and, and achieve what I'm capable of. So those are two things I'm going to be really that's, focused on. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. That's perfect. And then my final one here is what's your why about diving? Like, why do you love it so much? The constant pursuit of like perfection and greatness um, in the sport and the fact that you're, you're always pushing yourself to be better. Um, I like to get hyper fixated on things. That's why golf was something that, that I liked. And, and I found that similarity between uh, diving and golf, but my why in diving is, is always going to be the the fact that I could be doing something better. Um, and that there's always going to be something to work on. I, I love that aspect of it. Um, and then um, I just, I enjoy it. It never feels like a job. Um, I have fun. Something about flipping is really fun. So I think there's a few screws loose or something, but uh, it's always <laughs> I think I think that obsessive personality is ever present in a lot of us in this community. You know, whether it's from a coaching aspect or an actual competing aspect, like all of us have that same like crazy freakish obsessive drive to continue to just keep pounding away. And uh, it, it may be the detriment of some of our significant others and or work lives or any other priorities. But man, it's like a drug. It's it's so fun, like everything yeah. about it. And, and it's it's like winnable, but also almost impossible to always be perfect. So it's, it's just, it's just like golf, right? It's super frustrating and super rewarding. 100%. 100%. All right, Grayson, favorite drill. Oh, that's a great question. I have a very strong opinion on this one. Um, personally, my favorite drill, one of the best drills I've ever done, uh, is standing twisters for like, for me, it was for double out and triple out. So standing front one half double twist and standing front one half triple twist on three meter um, were super impactful for me. Um, you don't see tons of people doing them, but Matt's like, Matt has all of his divers do it um, and I absolutely loved it. I, I felt that, you know, the difference between double out, triple out um, for the most part is really just in the twist. Like it's the same amount of flip. You, you come out a little bit earlier for the triple out, 
Um, but you know, the, the, the points are scored and, and a lot of the work, uh, goes into, um, the twist itself and the square out in the lineup and being able to isolate just that portion of the dive with that drill, um, is, is super impactful. Perfect. I actually wrote that down. My divers hate when I ask the drill question because they know the next day they're doing the drill. Good luck, Zach. <laughs> well, Zach's going to struggle because he does reverse twisters. He doesn't front twist. <laughs> but um, all right, best advice given and received. And I will preface this with I actually love the advice you've been giving yourself of you can't score when you're playing defense. Like I wrote it down and I'm like, I'm literally going to read that to my divers whenever they're all back. Like I love that. But best advice given or received. It came pretty late in my career. And, um, you know, I think I, I think I naturally kind of thought this way, but, um, Matt always said, um, you know, the most important dive is the next one. And that kind of like helped me put like what I had always thought and like how I had always approached meets like into, into a concise sentence and, and good words that I'm always reminding myself. Um, and, you know, I think that just ties back to, the, the nature of diving, which is like, not every dive is going to be perfect. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, like you rarely ever see someone go out there and hit all, all six dives perfectly or yep. those sort of abilities. So I think that's a really good one. Um, yeah. just kind of refocus and absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. Who would you like to hear us interview next? You know, I think a really interesting interview, I've actually already mentioned the name of this podcast, um, is Bryce Klein. Uh, right. he's got some very unique experiences in the sport, um, and an elite junior diver experienced great senior diving success. Um, he's a lawyer now, so has kind of taken diving, um, and he was our grad assistant at UT too. And then he was also an athlete representative on the, um, board of directors for USA diving. So he's, oh. he's got so many different um, perspectives and experiences in the sport. I think he'd be a really interesting interview. All right. Fair enough. And then what question are we not asking that we should be? I think an, an interesting question um, that would be great for like rising, um, like high school sophomores and juniors would be asking collegiate divers, you know, what they would have done differently in the recruiting process. Cause there's nice. a few things that, that come to mind for me. Um, but to kind of dive in a little bit more, it's like, where, where, where could you learn from, from what you learned yeah. in the recruiting process? What would you do differently if you could go back and do it again? I think that'd be a good one. That's a great question. That's an absolutely great question. Um, but before we go, just for our listeners, um, reminder, we're going to start pumping out the 2028 and beyond skills camp hosted again down in Moss Farms. Um, the coaches that we know for certain are going to be attending is our head Olympic coach, Drew Johansson from the last few Olympics, uh, John Fox, the new Auburn head diving coach, and then obviously the head diving coach at Moss Farms, Tom Gim. That's going to be September 8th, 9th, and 10th. Um, keep your eyes peeled on divemeets.com and we will be pumping out the uh, link as well on our Instagram pretty much every day. Um, it was super successful last year. We're really hoping we can get more people to it this year for coaches and for athletes. Um, so keep your eyes peeled for that on social media. And most importantly, Grayson, thank you so much for coming on and kind of breaking some news. That was exciting. And uh, I'm super excited to see the comeback, man. It's going to be awesome.
Thank you so much. It was an incredible opportunity. All right. If you're out there listening, hit us up on Instagram. We are at the diving pod and our email is the diving pod at gmail.com. Uh, Cowing Robards, shout out to our other sponsor. If you need an online store set up or just a simple t-shirt project, hit me up. I'm happy to work with you. If you need an example of what an online store looks like, just go to ours. It's divingpod.itemorder.com. Enter divepod at checkout. That gets you free shipping. There's, there's some sweet stuff on there. We just got an order from Mr. Dylan Reed. So I appreciate you out there, brother. <laughs> um, but yeah, one, once again, Grayson, thanks so much. This was awesome. The, the news drop was just like, what the heck? This is so cool. I'm excited to see what's coming. Thank you so much. Really appreciate this. All right. We'll see you next time.